Locked On Podcast Network and Odyssey present Locked On Sports Today. The Colorado Avalanche completed one of the most dominant postseason runs in recent history to win the Stanley Cup. What will the Browns do at quarterback if they don't have Deshaun Watson? And Debo Samuel still wants to be traded. What's his most likely future? I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the can't-miss stories and biggest debates in sports. You're locked on sports today. Searching all major sports. Found. Let's start with the biggest story. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props and odds and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Lightning had struck twice in the Stanley Cup Finals the last two seasons, but the Colorado Avalanche made sure in Game 6 it would not strike a third. They get a 2-1 win in Game 6 in Tampa with the honor of raising Lord Stanley's Cup. Joining me now from Locked On Avalanche, Chris Maselli. And Chris, this was a series that, despite finishing in six games, was razor razor thin that margin four of these games decided by just a single goal so what was the deciding factor against the two-time defending champs you know i think when you look back oddly enough for the avalanche they seemed to get stronger as the games went on and not that tampa really went the opposite direction it wasn't like you know two ships passing in the night type of thing it was just the abs just maybe it's training in the altitude where as games went on they just got stronger and it was more and more difficult for tampa to really slow them down and in the first two games the abs speed really hurt tampa and they were able to to get they had a lot of open ice tampa clomped down on that as the as the series went on but i think i think tampa surprisingly they just looked tired at the end of games and the avalanche didn't and they don't and i think it was just a stamina thing because we've said before i've come on here and these two teams are very evenly matched you know what I mean? and you saw it like you said throw out those two games that were just flukes that happens the the other four games that's what people were expecting in this series and it, it, it's just you could go out and play this game again in this series again and you might get different outcomes that's how close these two teams are it was a great great series to watch we we came into this final talking about the pair of sweeps for the Avalanche uh, and, and the season that they had, the points that they put up. It's hard to do this in the moment, right? And, right? and try and make these sorts of historical comparisons. But just off the top of your head, how do you think historically we're going to remember this season in terms of how impressive it was from the ads. This is something Kyle, my co-host, and I have talked about a few times uh, towards the end of the season, kind of going into the playoffs. Because, you know, when when you look back, it's going to be hard to not put this team as the best Avalanche team in franchise history. They have the the most points in a season. Um, The only thing that they didn't get was the President's Trophy. And I don't think anybody's really going to hold that against them. There's some people that say like, yeah, that's not all that they're going to mind. They won. They won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, in in the the, you know, the grand scheme of like, well, are they the best? Uh, I don't think people are going to say like, well, they didn't. Oh, my my cat just popped a balloon over here. She's happy. Uh, So anyway, I think, you know, 
you will. I think you're going to look back and say like this is this is the best Avalanche team in the history of the franchise because they had the most points and obviously they they won the Stanley Cup. They had the best defenseman in the league in Kale McCarr. You could just go on and on about what this team has accomplished. Listen to Locked on Avalanche as Chris and his co-host Kyle Sullivan will have you covered every day on all things Colorado Avalanche on every podcasting app, including the Odyssey app. Thanks for making Locked on Sports today your first listen. Coming up, Deshaun Watson awaits the NFL's ruling on how long a suspension he will receive, if any. Will he play at all in 2022? Here's what to look for on Bet Online, your number one spot for all your daily gambling needs. Monday's slate of MLB games provides some value. The Cleveland Guardians are on a roll and still find themselves home dogs to the Minnesota Twins. Bet Online has the Guardians' money line plus 117. The over under in the Oakland Athletics and New York Yankees matchup does not reflect the powerhouse lineup for the Bronx Bombers. Bet Online is the over under at 8.5. And the L.A. Dodgers and Colorado Rockies are expected to score quite a bit at Coors Field. Bet Online has that over/under at 11 and a half. Bet Online, where the game starts. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. Both managers and six players were ejected from the Angels-Mariners game on Sunday after a brawl ensued following Jesse Winker being hit by a pitch. The brawl was not just in response to that singular event, but multiple events over the last two days. As to the absurdity of the brawl, our own Tydan Gonzalez of Locked On Mariners does not see this as a mere coincidence. It's incredible what insecurity will do to someone, or in this case, an entire team. This is Tidy Gonzalez, host of the Locked On Mariners podcast. It's been a frustrating season for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, to say the least. They are five games under 500, nearing the halfway point of the year, despite having two of the greatest players to ever play the sport of baseball, and they haven't even finished above 500 since a guy named Jerry Depoto was their general manager. Therefore, it's pretty understandable that this team, which recently fired its manager, would be willing to try almost anything to ignite a spark, even manufacturing a beef with the Mariners that, let's be real about it, did not exist before Sunday. I put on the tinfoil hat, if it wasn't clear as day, the Angels orchestrated one of the most absurd displays I've seen on a baseball field in quite some time. They threw all logic out the window and used Eric Swanson missing a fastball up and into Mike Trout in a two-run ball game on Saturday as some sort of excuse to incite a brawl that the Mariners, frankly, had no business being a part of. At the last possible moment, the Angels swapped out their scheduled starter for an opener who basically served as a hitman for acting manager Phil Nevin. And who was it who instigated a brawl by chirping at Jesse Winker from the top of the steps? Well, that would be none other than Anthony Rendon, who just so happens to be out for the season with a wrist injury. And, you know, the other two Angels objected for their hand in today's brawl? Yeah, a pair of relievers. Meanwhile, the Mariners lost Winker, J.P. Crawford, and for some reason, and Julio Rodriguez. You see the issue here? And that's not to mention the fact Seattle entered today without Ty France as well. And yet, despite the Mariners running out a glorified AAA lineup for the final eight innings of this game, the Angels were only able to win by one. Enough said. Be sure to join us on tomorrow's episode of Lockdown Mariners on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Should be a fun one. Jimmy Garoppolo is on schedule. Now, How much longer will he be on the 49ers? 
The San Francisco quarterback is progressing through his rehab schedule well after offseason shoulder surgery. The expectation is that once Garoppolo is cleared to go, the trade market will heat up for him and the 49ers will deal him somewhere he can start or at least compete to start. Trey Lance has been QB1 in the Bay Area this offseason with Nate Sudfeld as his backup. Jimmy Garoppolo is due to count almost $27 million on the cap for the Niners this season. Dealing him would clear more than $24 million from their books. And at that price, some teams may be willing to bet San Francisco just cuts him. They can't get a deal they like. The College World Series ended with a story even Hollywood writers would look at and go, nah, two on the nose. The Ole Miss Rebels won the College World Series going from the last at-large bid into the tournament to the last team standing after scoring three runs in the eighth inning to beat the Oklahoma Sooners. The only thing that would have made it more storybook is if they had done it in the ninth. That means the College World Series title will remain in the state of Mississippi after Mississippi State won the crown last year. This is also the third straight year that the SEC has won the title. The Live Invitational Series received two more marquee names on Sunday. Matthew Wolf, who won a PGA tournament just one month after turning pro in 2019 and whose swing has become somewhat of an iconic talking point for its unique style, is planning on playing in the Live Golf Tournament at Pumpkin Ridge in Oregon. This is Live's first event in the United States. Wolf has struggled on tour as of late and is ranked 74th in the world after having missed seven of the last 12 cuts, something he won't have to worry about in the Live Series. Joining Wolf is the number two amateur in the world, Spain's Eugenio Shakara. He announced on Twitter that he was leaving Oklahoma State to turn pro after he received an offer he couldn't pass up. The Live Golf Tour has now become the godfather, apparently. Here is another story you need to know. Disciplinary hearings for Deshaun Watson will go on this week after months of a story surrounding his involvement with more than 20 women, sexual misconduct, and a slew of civil lawsuits, some of which, most of which, are now settled out of court. But we still don't know what the plan is for the Cleveland Browns should Deshaun Watson miss some or most of the season. Joining me now from Locked on Browns to try and give us some insight on that, Jeff Lloyd. Jeff, let's say Deshaun Watson is gone for the year. What is plan B for the Cleveland Browns in a year where they hope to contend for a Super Bowl? First things first, I I tend to believe that they have a ton of faith in Jacoby Brissett. They are going to play a style of football in 2022 that's going to be relied upon a very, very good defense. The defense closed the season well last year, nine games, having given up 16 points or less. They still have Nick Chubb. They still have Kareem Hunt. They have other running backs. They think Amari Cooper is going to make a big difference for them in the passing game, regardless of who the quarterback is, just due to the fact that you're not dealing with a high-level personality Amari Cooper. He plays in a much more laid-back style. David Njoku should be somebody who should emerge this year through the play-action game. There was a stretch for the Indianapolis Colts where Jacoby Brissett threw 18 touchdowns and only four interceptions. The Browns hope they can get that type of player. I think the big question is, is what would be the backup plan to Jacoby Brissett if you're thinking Deshaun Watson is out for an entire calendar year. Josh Dobbs has, to this point in his NFL career, has very limited playing time. The success was not very good. Um, they may like him. They you know, may think highly of him. I don't think anybody thinks there's a, re- a realistic option there. But with Jacoby Brissett, I don't think they can truly bank on that. There are veteran quarterbacks on the market. You feel you have a nice plan in place. 
Uh, I still don't think that they believe they're going to lose Deshaun Watson for an entire calendar year. That may change. And if that does, I think I expect a lot of activity to bring in at least another quarterback, if not to maybe take Jacoby Brissett's place as the quarterback for the Browns in 2022, but certainly to give him a run for his money. Yeah, perhaps they jump into the Jimmy Garoppolo market, running an offense very similar to what San Francisco runs with Kyle Shanahan out in the Bay Area. But that leaves the elephant in the room, uh, and that is Baker Mayfield, who is technically still on this Cleveland roster. He does not want to be there. It doesn't seem as though the Browns want him to be there either. You just gave me a two-minute answer about plan B if Deshaun Watson's not on the field and didn't say Baker Mayfield. So what are they going to do with Blake Baker Mayfield? I have no doubts that you know the trade market, it's imminent as far as the teams that are interested. And for the Browns, there's two ways to look at this. Um, you, you know, as we all feel, there's rumored, you know, Seattle Seahawks and the Carolina Panthers have interest. They both have done with their OTAs now. And I think neither one made the move going into it because it's really hard to tell young quarterbacks, go out there, perform the best you can. We're evaluating you. But meanwhile, the guy over there who can't practice with the bad shoulder and healing is going to be the guy anyway. So none of this means anything. Um, now that both teams have had their OTAs, they probably feel that they would be better suited. Carolina, it's a weird situation because you'd bring in Baker Mayfield to maybe try and save Matt Rule's job. I don't think Baker Mayfield goes into Carolina and all of a sudden we talk about the Carolina Panthers being a threat to the NFC playoffs. Seattle Seahawks, it's a little bit of a different ballgame. He's not going to have to throw as much. He's got a big-time, deep playmaker. He's got a nuanced route runner in Lockett. Um, The Seahawks like to play defense. They like to run the ball, similar to what the 2022 Cleveland Browns will be if they do not have Deshaun Watson. But it's time to move on. But And if you're the Browns, I think the best return of investment that you're looking for here is not necessarily somebody to take most of Baker's money. It's maybe what you can get back you lost a lot of trade assets in moving um Deshaun Watson here and what you gave to the Houston Texans I think Seattle would maybe be able to say look we'll say it's a day three pick say we win we make the playoffs say we you know win our division even God I think maybe with a chance for that pick to increase in value for the Browns knowing that maybe Seattle will pay less for the contracts but maybe would be willing to give up a little bit more. I think Carolina, and that would be the tougher spot for Baker because you're going down there to save somebody's job. And it's not like Baker Mayfield and Matt Rule have this history together where they know each other and, hey, we can help each other out. I'm in a tough spot. You're in a tough spot. It just seems Seattle's the much more favorable spot. And I think as far as, you know, future assets for the Browns, and look, you're committed to the 18.9 to Baker Mayfield right now. Anyway, you slice it. Uh, so start maybe start to recoup some of the things you lost. Check out Locked On Browns on your favorite podcast app, including Odyssey. Jeff Lloyd and Garrett Bush bring you a daily look inside the new signal caller of the Browns, at least for now. Coming up, what does the future hold for Debo Samuel in San Francisco? What's next for Debo Samuel? According to ESPN reports, he has not rescinded his trade request despite being with the team for some of their off-season work. So with training camp looming, we want to know, what is the timeline here? What is the future of one of the game's best players? Joining me now from Locked On 49ers and, of course, the Peacock and Williamson show, Brian Peacock. Brian, the 49ers have said they don't want to trade Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel has said he doesn't want to be there. So how do we reach a resolution to this conflict? Well, Peter, I don't think that 49ers fans have to worry that Debo Samuel is not going to get signed. And uh, Debo Samuel's own teammate, George Kittle, is not too worried about it. In fact, he thinks the timeline for Debo Samuel is exactly the same it was for him two years ago, which was the exact same timeline as it was for Fred Warner 
last year. And the 49ers haven't been shy about paying their stars uh, amongst the, the the top of their peers. Now, I think the 49ers probably had a lower number for Debo Samuel in December and in January when they were trying to figure out their plan. And then Christian Kirk happened, and then a bunch of other things happened, and then the A.J. Brown trade happened, who was, has the same agent as Debo Samuel. So clearly his agent has a plan. Clearly Debo hasn't seen the dollar figure yet that makes him want to sign. I do think it's going to happen in the next three weeks before training camp, as it did with Fred Warner and as it did with George Kittle. Um, but they got to get the numbers right. And with with Debo, and this was the same with George Kittle, and he's kind of opened up about it more recently about how you know he 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 called he called negotiating a contract like having braces. Like you hate it while it's happening. Then when once they're off. You feel great about it, and you kind of forgot they were ever there. And so that's how it is when you're negotiating a contract. And it's not always easy when you're the player and you hear numbers, and you know, and it's the the team's job and the the negotiator's job to keep the dollars low, and the player and the agent are trying to keep the dollars as high as they can. They tried their leverage play at the draft. It worked for AJ Brown getting out of town and getting his new contract. Didn't work for Debo, and so Debo has to negotiate with the 49ers. I think they're going to get a deal done. I think it benefits all sides. And like George Kittle, when he was Going through this, he thought, man, am I going to have to hold out of OTAs? Am I going to have to hold out of training camp? But they were able to get a deal done. There was some times when he was pretty frustrated about it, and I'm sure that's what Debo's going through right now. But I do think he will get a deal done, and I do think the 49ers are going to sign him at some point late July before training camp gets rolled. The metaphor I like to use is that superstar contracts are like bacon. They seem like they're not even close until all of a sudden they're done. And that is probably what's going to end up happening here, it seems like. I I think that one of the things that has been discussed around, let's say, the Packers and Devontae Adams is, oh, well, Devontae didn't want to be there. And so that suddenly says something about Jordan Love's development. How much has that been part of the discussion here where Debo Samuel, he's unhappy, he wants to be traded. How much of that for 49ers fans reflects to them on his feelings on the future of Trey Lance? I don't think that's a part of it at all. Debo's numbers were fine when Trey Lance played. Uh, Trey Lance can open up a new, I mean, we saw a big touchdown pass from Trey Lance to Debo Samuel that Jimmy Garoppolo would never attempt and never throw and wouldn't be able to pull it off, you know, buying time in the pocket and chucking it across the field, deep down the field. So Debo Samuel's high-end production could be even higher if Trey Lance is the guy that the 49ers hope and, and think he is. Um, I, I really just think it's a leverage play and they're they're going to be asking for a trade until they sign the new contract. And it's, it's really the only thing they have right now is keep as much pressure as they can on the 49ers to come with as much money as they can. Um, but we saw Debo Samuel already show up to minicamp because he didn't want to get fined, right? And it's a lot worse the fines in training camp than they were in minicamp. If there was a time you were going to put your foot down and not show up and take a fine, it'd be the one minicamp, you know, get that one fine. But now you're going to get fined every day if you don't show up to training camp. So uh, at some point, I think there will be a, a resolution to this. I think part of it is some of the funny money that are on other contracts. T- Tyree kills money. People, you know, the agents love to throw around the total dollars, but Tyree Kill's not going to see the $40 million a year at the end of his contract. Uh, A.J. Brown's $25 million per year, but he's backloaded as well. He's got a cap number of $37 million in the last year of his deal. And his cap number is only, you know, 20, um, $20 million in base salary in 2024. It's a low base salary this year. It's $15 million base salary in, in 2025. So if the 49ers want to play it with real dollars, which is they've been a team that does the most real dollars I think in the NFL, either top one or top two, but with 
with not utilizing the dead money and not playing that game, I think they would rather sign Debo to a real contract that they might see the end of in four years and have an opportunity to sign him again, rather than having that poison pill at the end of it, which pretty much guarantees that you're going to cut that player after, you know, three fourths of the contract. And finally, I guess sometimes the old saying of if you can't beat him, join him doesn't always work. Corey Perry tried everything. He made his third straight Stanley Cup final as a player. His previous two before this were with the Dallas Stars and Montreal Canadiens. Both teams lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning. So he did what any person might do. He joined the Bolts. Then they lost to the Avalanche. After winning the Cup in 2007, Perry has done everything he can to get another. But it looks like he will have to wait to try again next year. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Now go find your favorite team's Locked On podcast and make them your second listen. Coming up tomorrow, we get an update on the Major League Baseball season as they are now center stage in the sports world. So at least until tomorrow, stay Locked On Sports today.